These days, it's not unusual to see a celebrity having a social media meltdown. But when the rapper, producer and godfather of grime, Wiley, took to Twitter with a furious tirade of inflammatory, conspiracy fueled anti-Semitism, the world was genuinely shocked. In a world where anti-Semitism is on the rise, it's exacerbating these issues. And I genuinely do think social media, particularly platforms like YouTube, which are full of conspiracy theorists, it makes it so much easier for these people to be radicalised in this way. As people boycotted Twitter and a roll call of politicians waded in, many were left wondering, why would anyone who is against racism be anti-Semitic? It does colour the music for me. So it's a sad adjunct to what was previously a very inspiring career. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Wiley and black anti-Semitism. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm not racist, you know. I'm a businessman. Wearing a sporty blue tracksuit, Wiley, the godfather of grime, is talking to Noel Phillips at Sky News. The interview was released last night after days of controversy. I want to apologise for generalising, number one, and I want to apologise for comments that were looked at as anti-Semitic. But it's not long before he's off again. The music industry, batch of people I'm talking about, they're the ones who get to benefit from it. That's what, that's what this is all about. It's systemic racism from their side. What do you think? The system and that man and a, a community of Jewish lawyers and thingy have made me feel that way. Yes, they have. They've made me feel that way. Not anti-Semitic. They've made me feel angry and upset because they are showing me the systemic racism and privilege that they're allowed to use on us. How did such a successful artist, who has even awarded an MBE for his services to the music industry, end up the cause of international outrage? Well, it all started last Friday. Everyone was saying, oh God, Wiley. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder if Wiley has started a beef with Stormzy again or something. Nadine Bachelor-Hunt is a journalist and a podcaster. 
She's also black and Jewish. Obviously, it wasn't that. It was horrifying. Whenever a black person is anti-Semitic or a Jewish person is anti-black, it becomes an utter nightmare because it's pitting two marginalised communities against each other in a really, really, really destructive way. And obviously, I'm a black Jew, so I'm caught in the middle. Last Friday, Wiley started posting a tirade of anti-Semitic comments on his Twitter feed. I was just like, oh my God, like, please just stop. And in the comments, there were black people being like, yeah, say it as it is, Wiley. And then there were Jewish people being like, oh, this is what black people are like. And then there were black people being like, Wiley, what are you doing, man? And then there were Jewish people being like, what the hell's going on? And I was just sitting there like, this is my worst nightmare. In despair, Nadine began responding to some of those tweets. Because I recognised that I was in a unique position in being black and Jewish. And I recognised that, particularly in light of the Black Lives Matter movement, Jewish people may feel unsure of how to address a black man being anti-Semitic. And also I'm in a position where I can call out black people without people feeling like, oh, well, who are you to speak about? Da, 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 da. And I just thought it's better for me, even if it's really stressful, to be like, Right, I'm going to handle this. Anyway, I responded to being like, I'm black and Jewish and what you're saying is bleep. Then, something Nadine hadn't bargained for happened. Wiley replied to Nadine's tweets. He responded with, you're not really black. And then after that, there were loads of people saying, you're not really black because you're Jewish or actually you're half black, you're mixed race, so you'll never be black. The first few days were mainly racism directed at me or accusing me of being a white supremacist and stuff like that. And then by Sunday, I had some abuse from within the Jewish community accusing me of being an anti-Semite. And by Sunday night, I was just so tired and drained. And I think that was when it started to get to me. My main priority was just not to allow Wiley or anybody else to try and turn black people against Jewish people and vice versa. And he was saying things like, this is a war. And I responded saying, this isn't a war. And this is just you acting like a clown. And then he responded saying, oh, I'm a clown, am I? And then he followed me. And then I inboxed him asking him what he was doing. And then he he didn't reply. And then he was tweeting about how Jewish people were cowards. So yeah, but at the end of the day, I saw it as something I had a responsibility to address. And I did. As Wiley and his Twitter followers turned on Nadine, telling her she wasn't really black, she posted a tweet and pinned it to the top of her Twitter feed, saying, All these anti-Semites can just kiss my black Jewish ass. (laughs) How did that feel? Yeah, it felt good, especially when it got a lot of retweets and I had a lot of other black Jews being like, yes. (laughs) Um, Obviously, there's uh, a lot of people don't know we exist. So that's like a running joke in our community anyway. Wiley's barrage of anti-Semitic tweets continued over two days, unleashing a furious backlash and condemnation from across society. He claimed they are at war with black people and even suggested they deserve to be shot. The Home Secretary, Priti Patel, has since responded, saying the anti-Semitic posts from Wiley are abhorrent. It all seems to have stemmed from an argument he might have had with his former manager now, who's dropped him after this uh, incident, who is a Jewish man himself. For Nadine, the abuse continued to pile up, even after Wiley's tweets had been deleted. I'm not unfamiliar with abuse on social media as someone that uses it as a black person and a Jewish person. And the platform's notorious for not, you know, removing racist material either fast enough or at all. 
And I won't repeat some of the stuff that I got in my inbox because it's very strong language. But they were saying things about me being a white supremacist, bleep, 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 <laughs> and things like that. And I think yesterday I got a message that was saying some pretty graphic stuff about how I was conceived. Were you a fan of Wiley before all of this happened? He has done an incredible amount for grime in this country and, you know, music genres that are quite important within the black community. But he's also been known to be quite controversial. He's made some racist comments in the past. He's known to be a bit of a wind-up merchant. He likes attention. I mean, growing up, I listened to Wiley's songs. He's a very, very talented grime artist and, and there's very few people that would disagree with that regardless of what he said and there were a lot of Jewish people online saying I, I loved Wiley like I, lo- I loved Wiley's music I can't believe he's saying this So who is Wiley the man at the eye of a social media storm and what's behind his anti-semitic ranting Wiley is really the inventor of grime and grime is the British answer to hip hop That's Will Hodgkinson. I'm the chief rock and pop critic for The Times. I love that The Times has one. (laughs) There is no junior rock and pop critic, so I could be the junior. (laughs) Grime is a genre of music that was developed in the grittier parts of London's East End in the early 2000s, and Wiley was its spiritual leader. Garage was this huge thing, mostly based around nightclubs, And it was all about dressing up, being aspirational, being smart. And Wiley, first of all, he was a teenager without any money. And secondly, he's on the outside looking in. So he was seeing this this kind of quite exciting music scene and wondering how he could be a part of it. Realising that it was sewn up, he came up with his own version. And he, he often talks of stories of trying to get into garage clubs, but, you know, you had to wear Gucci loafers and he'd turn up in his school shoes. You know, it was things like that. And so what happened is that he's essentially completely self-taught. He learned how to use a computer program called Fruity Loops, which is a a music making program. And he came up with his own style, which was much rougher than Garage. It was it was more basic, more brutal. It was very much a product of the environment which he came from, which is, you know, council estates in Bow. And there was a Garage crew called the Pairs You Go crew. And they gave Wiley his first break, basically. So that's where really where he started. Tell me about his music. What is it that makes him distinctive? It's very, very straight-talking. It's very different from hip-hop in the sense that the classic hip-hop thing would be to take an old uh, record by someone like Chic or, you know, Herbie Hancock or whoever and turn it into a loop. What the grime people did, and it's partly a product of necessity because they didn't have any money, was that they just made, it was, it was the point at which in, in the late 90s when the technology was allowing you to make music on a laptop without having to go through the expensive process of clearing samples. So they'd make this style of music using this program called Fruity Loops almost always at the same beat. It's almost always 140 beats per minute. And this is what 140 beats per minute sound like. And on top of that, he used it just to kind of talk in the way that kids of his area talked. So there's a lot of slang, a lot of humour, a lot of aggression. Constant winning, I won't take 
make a die. Trust me, dog, I can't let that slide. I run the park, man, I big like hide. I can show the houses, bikes, and the rides. No matter what you think, it's an uphill struggle. Don't doubt me, I can show you the light. If you don't know me yet, I gotta tell you, I'm the wickedest MC alive. Bring it to life. But it was, it, it was kind of tongue in cheek. No musical instruments. It's all based on effects, really. When Wiley started, he was funding his early recordings and his, his early lifestyle through drug dealing. So he's in a, quite a dangerous world. But when he started, a lot of it was fun. The songs could be boastful, but not entirely serious. And the way he talked really sounded like someone from the East End. Yo, I'm 50-50, nifty-nifty, got the best deal, nobody can twist me. Every time somebody tries to shoot me, I flip the ball, they miss me, miss me. They don't want to two-fist me, fist me, I'm quick. It's completely from its environment. And it was fresh, you know, and, and so he, he came up with something which just hadn't really been heard before. And one of his famous uh, protégés was Dizzy Rascal, who then became a big pop star. You know, Dizzy Rascal started very much in the shadow of Wiley. So he's not just a grime artist, he is the grime artist. Yeah, he's called the Godfather. It's really where it started. And it also the other thing is that grime was very much a, a kind of black British version of punk rock in the sense that it was DIY. There weren't any record labels who were signing up these artists in the early days. That came later. They had to do it themselves. For his early recordings, he would record them himself at home. He'd go to a pressing plant, press up a load of vinyl records, and then he would drive to record shops himself to try and sell them. And he started doing appearances at raves for 30 quid an appearance. And that's really how he got his name out there. It was underground. It was self-supporting, self-sufficient. Most of it got played on pirate radio stations, the famous one being Rinse FM, which were operating on the, you know, on the roofs of tower blocks in East London. And it was, it was kind of, you know, kids really, you know, mostly young black men, some women in their late teens and early 20s, coming up with this style on their own to the originally disinterest for most people. The white community wasn't interested because it was outside of their experience and knowledge. This started out as something very, very local. Typical grime track would name bus routes and roads. Literally local. <laughs> yeah, very, very local. So in the early days, he wasn't making any money. You, 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 don't, you don't make huge amounts of money by appearing at Rays for £30. So he's, no. he, he was doing drug dealing and he, oh. he recorded a, a single called Champagne Dance in 2002 which was actually by the garage crew called Pay As You Go, which he had a verse on it. After Champagne Dance came out, I think he was driving his car towards the Blackwall Tunnel and someone attempted to shoot him. And then a few weeks later, he was stabbed seven times by some teenagers. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was really, really serious at a rave. And then fresh out of hospital, two weeks out of hospital, he was walking into a place called Global Sports in Shepherd's Bush, when he was mobbed by the same group of teenagers. And this time he almost died. He was stabbed six or seven times. But this was a turning point. I think he decided, right, I'm going to make a real go of it with music. And a few years later, in 2008, he became a pop star. He had a hit called Wearing My Rolex, which is, it's not really grime. It's a very, it's a very catchy pop song about being in a club and meeting a girl. That's when I start promising the world to a brand new girl. I don't even know you. 
Two minutes later, he's given her his very expensive watch. It's just, you know, it's kind of fun escapism, really. And it got to number two. So Wiley became a, a big name. But at the same time, this is, this is why he's such a contradiction. Just after he released Wearing My Rolex, he put out something like 30 grime tracks for free on the internet. So it's, it's this constant strange balance between a mainstream, acceptable pop star and a very eccentric, very kind of underground figure who's, who's doing things that don't make particular commercial sense. So he's not the richest member of the music industry. I don't think he's up there with Elton John, but I mean, he would have, he would have some money. But also the other thing about Wiley, and this is, this is why, you know, this whole anti-Semitism thing is so upsetting. He became a role model for, for so many people. I mean, one of the things that he was famous for was being incredibly generous when it came to younger artists. I think his, his sister said that his idea of success is not measured in what he, he can get for himself, but what, how much he can give to others. Now, that makes him sound rather saintly, which is clearly not the case. But I think he's got this kind of expansive personality, which always wants to see, he feels that wherever he goes, he should bring his boys with him, that he should, he should kind of take people on the journey with him, which is also why the anti-Semitism thing is so dangerous. There's a song he did called uh, Too Many Man. He had his own crew called Boy Better Know. And Boy Better Know was sort of the most influential grime crew of them all. Too Many Man, I think it came out in 2009. It was Wiley, but there's also a bunch of his protégés. And the whole thing is uh, a bunch of guys turning up at a nightclub, being charged £55 for a bottle, and looking around and realising there are no girls anywhere. And, you know, it's that classic kind of teenage boy thing of thinking, well, this is absolutely rubbish, you know. <laughs> it's a bad night out, essentially, is what he's describing. And now anyone who's young and who's been out to cl clubs can, can relate to that. There's a universality to it. It's universality. But again, it's very specific. So he mentions the Ministry of Sound, which is a, a club in South London. That's what I find really interesting about it. Now, a lot of that was more than 10 years ago. What's happened to his career since? Up until recently, he was consolidating his position as the kind of forefather of grime. And what has also happened is that grime started out as a black British phenomenon. You know, the early raves, you would not have seen many white faces. That is no longer the case. Stormzy is a grime artist who's essentially become one of the biggest pop stars in, in, in Britain. The audience will mostly be white. And this is Wiley saying this. He, he noticed it himself. that it's, it's essentially, it's like it came from something from the, from the underground and then it went mainstream. And the winner is Stormzy! It's grown into the mainstream without him. When Stormzy headlined Glastonbury Festival last year, it was seen as a triumph. And it was a mix of, there was gospel in there, he had a whole gospel choir. He had, you know, a whole bank of musicians. He's doing ballads alongside kind of grime tracks and hip hop. So you couldn't say that that was still pure grime. He's become a, a star. And that's really where it's gone. So although it's still there and it always will be, I think grime in, in a way might have gone back to the underground and the breakout stars, and Stormzy is definitely the biggest by a long shot, have become, they become pop stars. And how does he 
feel about all that? He has this very difficult relationship. It's almost like a dysfunctional father-son relationship. So, you know, with people like Skepta and Dizzy Rascal, definitely with Stormzy, he'll have a tendency to insult them on social media, create these battles, these beefs. And you never know how much of it is for publicity or how much is, you know, genuinely feeling affronted. And I think he's one of these people who's in this situation of feeling that he's always done more than he got back. He is pretty well known and he's certainly, within the, the scene, he's completely respected as the person that started it. But I think there's always this feeling with him that whatever he does, he's never going to get onto the same level as the people that came after him. And there's also an age thing. I mean, you know, all the pop music tends to be young and he's in his 40s now. I would not have seen this coming. I really wouldn't. I think that what's happened recently, now this is only me surmising, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's been a you know, long-standing anti-Semite with, with all kinds of conspiracy theories, but his manager, John Wolfe, is Jewish. And I remember his manager telling me that he lost count of the amount of times that he would look on Wiley's Twitter account and find out that he'd been sacked. And then the following day, he'd, it'd be business as usual. It turns out Will Hodgkinson could well be right, as you'd expect from the chief rock and pop critic of The Times. In his interview last night, Wiley directed much of his fury at his former manager. Everything that gets done is for John Wolfe. I ain't got an award or a plaque or nothing. I ain't got nothing in my yard to show. <laughs> John Wolfe's got the MBE. I've never had the MBE. It's framed in his house. Now, who was the MBE for, really? Don't think that I was sitting there like, oh, where's my MBE? I need my OBE. I need my knighthood. Where's my Richard Branson? No. He also seemed angry about his diminishing career. Fans are fickle. Don't, get, don't, don't wind me up. I'm 41 years old. It's not like I've got all big bagger fans. Allow it. I'm not Dave. But you've got followers on No, Twitter, don't try you? it. I'm not Dave and that. I'm not current. Like, you know what I'm trying to say? I'm 41. I'm at the end of my career rather than the beginning. How does appreciation feel to you? A rising rush of warmth? A building wave of confidence? At Reward Gateway Eden Red, we know appreciation appreciates in value. Starting with people, radiating through companies to transform their performance and productivity. Capture the power of appreciation with our total employee experience platform. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is also sort of a strain of anti-Semitism in some parts of the black community. I mean, is that particularly difficult for you as somebody who is both black and Jewish? You know, have you always been aware of it? Yeah, so this is the idea that black people are the original Semites and it's it's so toxic and one of the things I'm really worried about is how it's starting to become more popular. I personally blame the advent of things like YouTube when people can post conspiracy theories relatively unchallenged on the platform and people just take it as fact. So there's these ideas that black people are the original Jews, the original Semites, their history was stolen from them by white Jews during slavery and a lot of this links back to the fact that black people feel like a lot of their history, particularly in America and the Caribbean, feel like a lot of their history was taken from them, which it was during slavery. I mean, I'm of Caribbean descent and my dad's parents from Jamaica and I don't know where in Africa my family originally came from. And my last name, Bachelor, which is my dad's last name, isn't an African name. So when you recognise that we don't even know what our ancestors' names were and we don't even know where our ancestors came from, then when, you, you know, people try and tap into that and say, well, actually, Jews own slaves and Jews stole our identity during the slave trade. And actually, we're the original Jews. These conspiracy theories are intentionally playing on trauma in the black community of not feeling like we have an identity. So that is really, really difficult to deal with. On top of that, of course, there are the classic anti-Semitic tropes about Jews having a disproportionate amount of power and influence. When you transport those um, ideas into the black community, it's almost amplified because black people are discriminated against on every level of society and kept down. And these tropes say there's a group of people, Jews, that hold everybody else down and control the world. And when you put that into the black community, it adds another angle, which is we're suffering so much and it's because of them. And it adds all of these, it makes it so much more intense. And and that's what makes dealing with anti-Semitism in the black community so much more complicated because part of it is rooted in pain and that pain has been manipulated by anti-Semites to cause division, if that makes sense. So it's very, very difficult to manage and handle. Many of these ideas were popularised by the Nation of Islam, a black American political and religious group headed by Louis Farrakhan. Some would say it's a highly influential movement for black empowerment. Others would describe it as a hate group for its anti-Semitic, anti-gay rights rhetoric. This is one of the most complicated things. It did do some really good things for black people. Malcolm X is probably one of the most important figures when it comes to black people in in Western uh, societies. But there was also this dark side to it and this anti-Semitic side to it. I don't think it's unfamiliar for people in the black community to have heard at some point someone think that the black people may be the original Jews. Not so much in an anti-Semitic way where there's hatred or hostility, just more like maybe that's our true history. And it just mainly comes across from rumours, really. And when people say that, it's not overtly because they hate Jews. It's just because there's this weird concept that has been kind of 
that maybe this is something because we don't know where we actually came from maybe we are where we, we were a tribe of jews like that's kind of set the seeds because obviously nation of islam malcolm x and stuff they were quite influential and important figures in some ways when it came to black liberation we are oppressed we are exploited we are downtrodden we are denied not only civil rights but even human rights so the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. So these ideas aren't new. I just feel like they're becoming very, very intense. And I think in a world where anti-Semitism is on the rise, it's exacerbating these issues. And I genuinely do think social media, particularly platforms like YouTube, which are full of conspiracy theorists, full of them, it makes it so much easier for these people to be radicalised in this way. And it, it really, really does scare me. Like, it really, really does scare me. Not just because it's really, really unhinged, but because I'm just scared that if the black community and the Jewish community start turning on each other, this really plays into the hands of racists that want to cause us, like, physical harm. And it's easier to target us, you know. Minorities divided are easier to, to conquer, you know. It's divide and conquer. I've been to synagogue and I've been stopped and people have assumed that I wasn't Jewish. I've been profiled. Uh, one of the worst things you can do in Judaism is ask somebody if they're a convert, what their background is. It, it's just, you know, someone's a Jew, someone's a Jew. But I always be like um, accosted, asked, how do you know Hebrew? How are you Jewish? Blah, 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 blah. And that's just something that white Jews just don't have to answer for or get questioned. You know, Ashkenazi Jews don't just come from one country. They come from various different countries in Eastern Europe. But they aren't questioned on what specific area of Eastern Europe they're from whenever they enter a room. With anti-Semitism, it's arguably one of the oldest forms of racism. And it's so insidious in every aspect of society. And the unique thing about anti-Semitism is that it's featured in the left and the right quite a lot. I think with the right, it manifests itself with violence. As far as I know, I don't see, you know, left-wing anti-Semites bursting into synagogues and opening fire on, on Shabbat. Um, but it's clear that the, the issue perforates parts of the far left and parts of the far right. And then again, with the rise of things like social media, where increasingly people are believing conspiracy theories, be it about COVID, be it about 5G, uh, be it about chemtrails, these videos are up there and people can just watch it and it's presented as fact and that's that. So when you've got a minority that has been targeted with conspiracy theories, it's almost like the centre of anti-Semitism towards Jews rests on conspiracy theories. In an age of conspiracy theories almost being normalised by how frequently they're platformed, it's unsurprising that Jewish people are seeing this rise of hatred towards them because this is this is almost the, the, one of the easiest times to spread conspiracy theories. We're all online. We all use apps like YouTube. Anyone can say whatever they want, unchallenged, as we saw with Wiley. He can just post on his, his Twitter to almost half a million followers saying all this stuff, all the conspiracy theories, and there's no real way that he could be challenged when you look at his timeline, if you just flick through it and didn't click the comments, you'd just be like, OK. So I think that's why anti-Semitism is on the rise. Nadine says Twitter just isn't doing enough to stop the spread of anti-Semitism. They weren't removed for hours and hours and hours. But Nadine believes that the community needs to change too. I also just hope people recognise that there's anti-blackness in the Jewish community, there's anti-Semitism in the black community... And unlike Wiley, you can challenge them without being racist. You can challenge them in a constructive way. You can educate people. When he said, um, this is a fight for black people or, or words to that effect, 
that isn't true. You know, that, that just is not true. Jewish people are not black people's enemies. They're allies. We've got, you know, those both communities have way more in common with each other than they have um, apart. You know, both communities, diaspora populations saw their histories destroyed, saw them their, got, got displaced, taken, you know, I think Martin Luther King talks about how Jews fled Europe um, to America because they'd been put in chains by the Nazis. And, you know, uh, black people in America fought against being in chains against white people, the same form of hatred that was trying to keep both communities down. My Jewish brothers and sisters said to me amid anti-Semitism anywhere, we don't need your support. We have enough Jewish power to deal with this problem ourselves. I would still take a stand against anti-Semitism because it's wrong, it's unjust and it's evil. So it's about listening to voices like that, that are unifying voices, and recognising that Wiley, he's not fighting for black people. This is not what anti-racism looks like. He's making the world a more dangerous people for black people. I just hope people realise that. Obviously, he's a massive anti-Semite, but before we knew that, he was really frustrating and provocative and often said things he shouldn't say. But his music, I think, will outlive him in that. He'll always have that impact, but it will be tainted now with such hatred and such racism that he's expressed. I just find it really sad. I could make a comparison to Wiley. I grew up loving the Smiths. You know, I thought Morrissey was, was this, this wonderfully poetic character who spoke to anyone who felt a bit misunderstood. But then a few years ago, when he came out in support of the far-right group For Britain, you just felt you could never listen to him again, you know. And it's a little bit like that. The, the Smiths were, were, you know, a hugely important band for so many people growing up in the, in the 80s and the 90s. Wiley was a hugely important figure for so many people growing up in, well, the 2000s and the 2010s. And it does sort of colour the music for you. Yeah, it does colour the music. I mean, I was listening to Wearing My Rolex today and I was thinking, this is a great song. It does colour the music for me. It, it colour, I, I mean, you know, I don't go home and listen to loads of Wiley, to be honest with you, but I do really, really admire what he, he's done. And I really admire the fact that he did it all on his own. So it's a sad adjunct to what was previously a very inspiring career. I wouldn't say that I was a fan fan, but I will say that I enjoyed his music and it's just so sad that someone who was so important to the genre has fallen from grace like this. Like I put on a Wiley song the other day just to kind of see how I'd feel, if that makes sense, um, to hear his voice after what he'd said. And it honestly made me feel sick because all I could hear was his videos on Instagram in my head mocking us and like mocking Jews it just made me realise that yeah I I just can't listen to his music anymore there are musicians that have done terrible things and people still listen to their music it feels like a complicated situation people still watch films produced by Harvey Weinstein like you know it's not a cut and dry issue but when it comes to Wiley and those videos where he's sneering and laughing I can't hear his voice now without thinking and hearing that so yeah I won't be listening to his music anymore You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Nadine Batchelor-Hunt and the Times pop and rock critic, Will Hodgkinson. The producer was Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Leo Hornack. And the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer.
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast. And we're now available on the Times radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in your app store. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.